you're too effeminate. You're a faggot. You're a sissy. You're this. You're that. So I said, well, groovy. So I put on the clothes I usually wear, which is girls' clothes. I went out and tried to get a job as a woman. Yes. This doesn't work. You get a job, you work for a day or two, a week, a month, or whatever it boils down. Somebody comes along that recognizes you who prefers to be a hooker and a tramp, turns around and turns your name into the boss and says, like, so-and-so is such-and-such, and that's the end of that job. So finally you reach a point where you get disgusted with the whole damn bit, and what you do is you turn around and you go out on the street. And you find out that you can make a hundred bucks tonight, and you say, well, the hell with it. Why should I be legitimate? Why should I be respectable? Why should I be anything? That was an excerpt from Screaming Queens, The Riot at Compton's Cafeteria, released in 2005. Um, It was directed by Victor Silverman and Susan Stryker. We'll be speaking with Susan Stryker today. Um, Susan is an American professor, author, filmmaker, and theorist whose work focuses on gender and human sexuality. We're here with another episode of The Lit Review, a literary podcast for the movement. Um, Today we are here at the Hyatt Regency Chicago downtown um, for the American Studies Association, the ASA 2017. Um, So we're actually in a really fancy lobby, um, so you might pick up on some elevator dings and maybe some uh, gaudy music in the background, but <laughs> that's just, you know, that's just the environment that we're in today. Um, so today I am actually here revisiting the book uh, Transgender History um, with a very special guest, um, the author of the book, uh, Dr. Susan Stryker. Um, so we talked about this book, uh, I think it was episode four um, with Benji Hart, and we really got into a lot of the, um, like the Compton's Cafeteria, um, we got into um, Stonewall, we got into a lot of really um, historical pieces and also like addressing um, sort of the um, the resistance to police violence, um, and we talked a little bit about how we can uh, better grow our movement for gender liberation. Um, so today, um, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Susan Stryker. So excited for her to be here, um, and we're going to just get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, welcome, Dr. Susan Stryker. Yeah, thank you, and you. I mean, thanks for acknowledging the work involved in getting that PhD and those initials after my name, but you can immediately like, go to like <laughs> Susan. Okay, got it, got all it. Right, all right, okay, all right, okay. Susan. All right, so Susan, can you just, um, you know, do yourself some justice and give us a little bit about who you are, what do you do, and why? Um, well, my day job is I'm a professor uh, at the University of Arizona. I teach in the gender studies program there. Um, I was the director for five years of the Institute for LGBT Studies. Um, before that, I taught at uh, Indiana University. Um, oh, Indiana. I know. Bloomington, <laughs> Indiana, home of the Kinsey Institute. Great research collection. Uh, and, you know, not, you know, kind of a cute, cute small town. Um, the little bubble of Bloomington was a nice place to work for a few years. But, you know, mostly I've worked outside the academy you know I, I did my PhD you know I'm old now it's like I did my PhD and ni- finished in 92 uh, so that's 25 years ago mm. um, and worked most of that time uh, doing community-based work working either in the nonprofit sector or as an independent uh, media maker and author documentary filmmaker um, was involved for a very long time with the the GLBT Historical Society in San Francisco. So anyway, I just try to um, 
use my my professional training as a historian and cultural theorist to do work that I care about politically mm -hmm. uh, as a trans person and you know honestly um, part of it was that even though like I was a sort of like well-educated white person with a fancy degree it's like because I came out as trans towards the end of my graduate school career so long ago it's like I could not get a job to save my mm -hmm. soul it's like my, my whiteness did not protect me from anti-trans mm -hmm. discrimination and so you know I just thought like I got to put put my knowledge and my training my skills my privilege to work and the things that like impact me and disadvantage me and others you know mm -hmm. and so it you know, it really, you know, my, my direct experience of social discrimination is mm -hmm. what, you know, like, gives me this sense of, um, you know, I want to want to use my, my scholarship and training for social justice mm -hmm. causes in the most sort of intersectional way possible. Mm -hmm. And this book originally was published in 2008, if I'm correct? Yeah, this little book... Um, it's called Transgender History. Um, the second edition, which just came out last week, is called Transgender History, The Roots of Today's Revolution. Mm. Uh, right, so they have to give it a fancy new title. Yeah. Right? Um, but it's basically substantially the same book. Um, ten years ago, um, the editor at Seal Press, this woman named Brooke Warner, uh, approached me about doing this book for a new series they were developing at Seal Press called Seal Studies, which they intended to be kind of like, you know, introductory texts on timely topics that could be used for, um, like, for, you know, it's like a, you know, a textbook in college classrooms. Uh, and I thought, oh, okay, you know, it's like I, I'm, I'm down for that. And I, I didn't really think that much of it at the time, you know, it's just like, okay, yeah, that would be a useful thing to do. And I sort of, you know, knocked it out pretty quickly. And it's just had this remarkable life, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I think it's the, the thing that I've written that actually has been the most read mm -hmm. by anyone. It's certainly found its audience. And, and, you know, what I find kind of fascinating about it is that usually it's like when you sell a book, the it's it's at the beginning it's the right when it comes out that it has its most readers and then it kind of tapers off over mm -hmm. time but this book uh the audience has grown over the years you know like it it keeps selling better and better mm -hmm. which is why the publisher thought oh we should come out with an updated version of this mm -hmm. um because you know some things have happened and you know on trans issues yeah, in the last few decade. things <laughs> yeah so i mean i definitely see this book as like an essential reader um for every organizer activist person human you know everyone needs to read this book yeah yeah th i mean thank you for saying that it's like that is kind of what i in intended you know mm -hmm. it's just like the the format of the book that they sort of asked for was it's like okay so like give us some like basic lingo so people know what we're talking about here and then you know do more of an activist history you know like mm -hmm. what's the relationship of trans issues to feminism to social justice movements uh, so you know that was the focus mm -hmm. for me and um, you know I feel like I was able to um, articulate transgender issues with you know a, you know with you know police violence with you know sort of gentrification urban renewal with mm -hmm. anti-war activism with you know sex work you know when, when I look at the roots of transgender militancy I mean it you know it, it's like everything that like has motivated people to like to get into the streets you know to you know 
to insist on their ability to just you know be in public as a, a, a as a person who's who's like very like body um is marginalized mm-hmm. um um you know it's like the the issues that have always motivated trans people to be active and engaged are still the issues that we deal with mm-hmm. today it's mm-hmm. like some things just don't change mm-hmm. and and so what has changed about the book in itself what's what, got what has added changed what, about the book anything well, taken out um when i went back and looked at that first chapter terms and concepts it's like the language is so outdated you know it's <laughs> like really i promise 10 years ago it was like totally like cutting edge it was like it was like right on the cusp and uh, 10 years later it was like you know i sounded like somebody's like grandma <laughs> you know it was uh, you know and it's just the language changes really fast mm-hmm. and um you know there's been a whole new generation of trans people coming up since then people think about issues differently you know some terms fall out of favor you know some you know, become new. There's, um, uh, you know, just sort of different frameworks for thinking about gender diversity. And, you know, I think one of the main things in that first chapter is really paying attention to questions of gender non-binary, gender non-conforming, you know, that, um, you know, that was not as big a deal uh, 10 years ago. And I think it's really important to acknowledge ways that thinking about things in terms of transgender can reproduce uh, gender binary mm. and that that gender binary is actually you know where the oppression lies it's mm. saying that you, you know <clears throat> you have to be on this side of the line or that side of the line so pick mm. you know uh, that's where the oppression happens and so to even call into question you know not not just say people should be able to live on the gender spectrum wherever they want to live but mm-hmm. to call into question the mm-hmm. you know the mm-hmm. binary mm-hmm. is really important so anyway so yeah. updated updated terms and concepts and put in a caveat that said like look you know this mm-hmm. is this is what people are saying now in 2017 it's like and by the time you read this it might be really different so just go make the internet be your friend <laughs> if you want to you know just like google get out there google like <laughs> listen you know talk um one of the other things that I um, uh, I, I changed, so then I, I wrote a whole new chapter for mm-hmm. everything that's happened since 2008, mm-hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> where the um, where the original book ended was basically around the controversy about the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, mm-hmm. uh, which you know I don't know if your listeners re- remember back then, but there was the the first effort to um, uh, to pass at the federal level an Employment Non-Discrimination Act that covered um, sexual orientation and gender identity. And it's something that had initially um, included gay and lesbian people, Mm -hmm. you know, way back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, But over the course of the 90s, um, activists had lobbied to include gender identity and expression in that proposed legislation and had won that. And then when Barney Frank, who was like the highest ranking, you know, openly gay politician in the United States, was trying to get the INDA, ENDA, Employment Non-Discrimination Act, passed. He was running into opposition around the trans part of it, and he just decided to cut it out, right? And so the Democratic Party totally threw trans people under the bus, you know, and um, a gay a gay democratic person threw trans people under the bus 
And so I think that was, you know, it was this big, huge split um, where a lot of trans folks who were in, involved in more, more kind of like, you know, liberal institutional reform politics basically just said, you know, like, that's it. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you can get with our program or, you know, and that's like, but it's like we're, we're not looking for you to represent us. It's like you are not necessarily our friends. And it was, a, you know, a big shift in the relationship between trans and gay mm -hmm. liberal politics. Uh, so that's kind of where the book ended, was sort of saying like, all right, you know, like trans people, like we've arrived, we're our own movement, you know, just like we're, we're not, you know, anybody's, you know, second cousin, just like, you know, so that was like before the financial crisis, mm -hmm. that was before the Obama administration, that was before, you know, so, you know, the explosion of um, trans issues in mass media, you know, is before Laverne Cox is on the cover of Time Magazine. I mean, it's just like, it was, you know, it was like before the flood, Yeah. you know, back then. <laughs> uh, so, you know, because I had to write a whole new chapter. Yeah. Um, other things that, that changed, uh, because when I wrote the book, it was focusing on sort of the narrative was on movement activism trans women and trans feminine people actually organized a lot earlier because the, the nature of their oppression was different than for trans masculine people who they were like organizing a couple decades later and so I didn't treat tr trans masculine FTM trans guy issues in the earlier parts and you know a lot of people kind of called me out for that and it's like well, no, there was a reason it wasn't that I was ignoring it and so but I thought, okay, as I revise, it's like, let me go back and like bring in, mm -hmm. you know, the um, transmasculine stories mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that changed uh, for me is that I, I feel like I didn't do as good a job in the first book as I would have liked on situating trans feminisms mm. uh, in the context of intersectional feminisms. You know, it's like, it was clear in my mind that trans feminist activism came out of the same sort of <clears throat> framework uh, that um, a lot of, you know, queer of color feminisms did. It's like it came out of, you know, some of the ideas that were, you know, articulated by Audre Lorde or Gloria Anzaldúa, and it's just like, and I just sort of didn't say that, mm -hmm. you know, in the book. And I thought, no, no, I need to, I need to like really foreground the intersectional feminist analysis mm -hmm. and not just sort of assume that people will see those connections. Mm -hmm. So it's like mm -hmm. I wanted to, yeah. you know, give the props that were due That's to awesome. the people who developed some of that, yeah. that analysis. So I think I did a much better job awesome. of that. I want to touch on a little bit um, around the after the flood. Um, so just sort of your thoughts around, um, you know, I feel like um, trans people are in mainstream media right now a lot around um, bathroom bills, around um, military ban, around um, trans people are, are on the front lines of being attacked right now um, by the Trump administration. Um, and now I think what's been in the news in the last couple of days has just been um, the amount of trans people that have taken um, office um, with Danica and with Andrea and all these um, um, trans women that have taken office across the country. Um, so, so I guess I'm just asking just what are your initial thoughts around um, everything that's happening right now? 
Um, that's a big question. I know, it's a really big question. Um, you know, it's, it was, um, I'll just say that, you know, the, the Trump election was, um, you know, it was devastating. Mm -hmm. It was just, um, um, you know, and it, it actually made me, um, thankful that I'm, I'm an older person now, because, like, I remember the before times, you know, mm -hmm. just like, I see a lot of younger people who are just completely shell-shocked because they're thinking like how could this have happened like because mm -hmm. they came up you know over through the Obama years where it's like there was this sort of liberal progress narrative of like oh like trans things are getting better for trans people and you know that was true in part you know it's like there was a lot of progress I don't mind using that word but it was a very unevenly distributed progress mm -hmm. Um, but it really seemed like, you know, as recently as a year ago, the biggest challenge for the trans movement was to make sure that the kinds of um, equality that was becoming possible for certain varieties of, you know, mostly middle class white <laughs> medicalized trans people was, you know, was actually justly distributed across the whole range of, you know, of, of you know, trans communities. Uh, and now, after the Trump administration comes in, it's like, I don't think that's the most pressing issue at all. It's like, we really are a frontline community. We are being directly attacked. And that, you know, we have to have, a, you know, a sort of a united front politics. You know, it's like my own politics, I, you know, I think are <laughs> much farther to the left end of the scale. But it's like everything from, like, you know, political moderates to the far left, you know, needs to, like, take what victories it can, find ways to work together, and just really, you know, push back mm -hmm. against what's happening now. Mm -hmm. um, and that, but it's like, I remember what it was like when, you know, trans people were basically, you know, sort of, you know, psychiatrized, medicalized, you know, had no public voice, you know, really had no recourse when they were experiencing you know, the target being the targets of state violence, you know, the, it was just, you know, it was a hard time 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and that knowledge, you know, that comes from living that kind of um, very marginalized life, knowing what it feels like to be really on the outs socially, uh, you know, it's a, it's a source of strength. You know, and so, you know, I f find myself saying to a lot of younger people, it's like, I know it sucks, doesn't it? It's like you got used to it being different. And it's like we can't take anything for granted. But really, it's like know that you have elders and ancestors, like know that you've got people who came before you who survived, you know, before, you know, the progress was made over the last, you know, couple of decades. And, um, you know, you got this, you know, mm -hmm. we're all in it. We're going to we're going to keep struggling. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned about you know 25 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, and 25 years ago I believe was the 80s, correct? 90, 92. 92. Oh, okay, so let's say 30, 35 years ago. Um, I feel like the 80s are often the forgotten about conversation um, when it comes to talking about um, activism, resistance, movement. Um, what was what, what were um, what was the state of uh, trans uh, politics during that you decade? Have, you have to talk about AIDS. Yeah. You know, AIDS is the big thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was just just coming on to the radar screen in like 81, 82. Um, trans people, particularly 
trans of color people trans you know trans women of color particularly trans women of color who were you know engaged in sort of you know the street scene um you know people who shared needles for hormones just like you know the the, the it was the the aids epidemic fell so disproportionately on trans women of, of color it's like it totally changed mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. what was going on in the community and that isn't often the narrative that we hear, right? Because I know that when I think of it, I think of, um, I think of gay cis men. You know. Yeah. Well, you. you know, I mean, it, it, any one thing that marginalizes you, like, mm -hmm. makes you more vulnerable. And when you've got like several things that like put you on the margins, it's like it's just it's not just like one plus one plus one. It's like you know one times two times four mm -hmm. times eight. It's like ex exponential, not just additive. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, like talking about AIDS, and I, you know, because I think the the struggle against the AIDS epidemic, it's like it really changed the relationship between <coughs> trans and gay and feminist politics. You know that that in the decade before there'd been kind of a parting of ways where <coughs> where a lot of the you know gay and feminist mm -hmm. activism did not think of trans as anything it needed to deal with. In fact, it sort of looked at trans people as like not the liberated ones, mm -hmm. you know, the ones who had not overthrown the psychiatric establishment, you know, the ones who were not yet free, the ones who did gender wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was very much the, the dominant uh, position in the 70s and 80s. And it's like in AIDS activism, I think that you start to see a different you know, awareness starting to take shape among cis people about trans issues. Uh, you know, that it was a common struggle against, you know, biomedical capitalism. It was a common struggle against, um, you know, the malignant neglect of the Reagan regime. You know, it was, um, you know, just coming out of like a sense of like public health activism. It's like where, you know, like epidemiologically where are we seeing this like what do we need to address it's like oh you know tr trans people are like in the, in the center mm -hmm. of all of this mm -hmm. um, so so the AIDS the AIDS crisis really you know was a you can't talk about the 80s without talking about the AIDS crisis um, and then the other thing that you have to talk about in the 80s is um, you know the the official pathologization of trans people. Mm. You know that that uh, it's in 1980 that you get this new organization that used to be called the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association, which oh is like God. a total mouthful, <laughs> right? Named wow. after this guy Harry Benjamin, <coughs> who was a medical doctor who. Um, really kind of helped pioneer the um, sort of medical model of, you know, providing health care, surgery, and hormones, and legal name and gender changes for trans people back in the 60s, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, he really was kind of paternalistic and patronizing, but, you know, it's like he was also kind of on the right, mm -hmm. the right side of history in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, so this organization was named after him, mm -hmm. uh, which was the organization for um, medical and psychotherapeutic service providers for trans people. Mm -hmm. Very complicated politics. There was a lot of gatekeeping. There was a lot of like, we're the professionals here. We're going to say who you are. And we're going to tell you how you need to live your life to get what you want. So, you know, a lot of a lot of um, unfortunate politics mm -hmm. between people who were 
trying to live their lives mm -hmm. and people who were trying to control access mm -hmm. to their means of living their life. Yeah. But that got started in 1980, and like they developed this, this thing called the standards of care that you know basically said, uh, you know, if you want hormones, you have to get this psychiatric evaluation, and if you, you know, want surgery, then you have to like live in the gender that you want for a year, and then we'll tell you whether or not you're doing it right, and you know, and so it was very controlled, yeah. um, and you know, you would, you know, and so that's when um, gender identity disorder officially went into the um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. Before then, it's like even though trans people were studied, it's like it wasn't, you know, the, the, the medical and psychiatric people didn't consider it a, you know, like a, its own named illness, you know, it's just like, it's like gender identity disorder didn't exist mm -hmm. before as a diagnostic category before 1980. And so there was this like new level of official pathologization and medical control of trans lives that comes together in the 80s. You would think that because it gets recognized as an official disease, you know, a mental illness, a disorder, that that would mean that you would be eligible for medical treatment or insurance coverage or whatever it's like you know but no you know like in the um the americans with disabilities act which comes out in 1990 91 or 92 i'm gonna forget the exact year mm -hmm. sorry but um it specifically excluded trans people mm. you know it basically said if like if you have some medical condition mm -hmm. that you know affects your access to public space it's like there needs to be some public accommodation for that you know ramps and curb cuts and you know <clears throat> all of the things that we're familiar with mm -hmm. now but it's specific the ADA specifically excluded you know, it says you know the following are not to be considered disabilities like being gay being a kleptomaniac being an alcoholic what? being a pyromaniac or being transsexual, wow. right? So it basically says you're not covered by this. You're ex wow. specifically excluded. Even though as gender identity disorder is recognized as a quote unquote official disease, it's like it's exempted from healthcare coverage. Yeah. So I mean, one, like with healthcare being based on employment, it's like there's so much employment discrimination against trans people. It's like a lot of trans people didn't have access mm -hmm. to health care, mm -hmm. but even if they did, they couldn't get covered for their transgender-related right. health care right. needs, right? And so it's like, it's that just like the double, <laughs> that double whammy of like, it's like, well, if you're going to say that we're sick, at least let us be quote-unquote treated, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But no, it's like you get all of the control of the, you know, psychomedical forensic you know apparatus mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you get no benefits from it so mm -hmm. it was just it's like sheer control wow and so just for our readers to our, our readers our listeners to my, um, my readers <laughs> your, your readers listeners, my yeah. listeners um just to make clear um to pathologize um a, a people is to medicalize or yeah, is to, to say that study, it's sick to say, say that it's sick, sick. Yeah. pathology like mm -hmm. it's sick mm -hmm. you know to say right. this is a sickness that you have yeah. being gender different from mm -hmm. the norm mm -hmm. is sick yeah and you said it, you called it the patho oh, pathologization pathologization of trans yeah. people yeah. um See, this is an occupational hazard yeah. you know like i like talk to t <laughs> you know <laughs> 
So let's this is let's let's talk about some of the organized resistance to this, right? Because this is very depressing um, and very real. Um, but yeah, I know we know that there has always been resistance. Um, so let's get into that a little bit. I just want to say I think the first act of resistance is just survival. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and so um, you know when you live in a world that you know doesn't want you in it just saying like I'm here I'm breathing I'm taking up space I'm living my life I am manifesting myself in the world it's like that is the first step always Um, um, you know it's it's interesting you know to look back historically that you know I mean people who've been like different from the main mainstream for most people the way most people do their gender it's like we've always been around and honestly the more we learn historically like the more it seems that you know trans people have always been visible you know like people like live in you know like small communities or big cities and like they're known to be trans somehow but um you know they kind of like people just left them alone you know it's like people found their ways of living their lives a lot of times um and over time, you see more and more attention. Like you, you see, it's not like there's this progress narrative of like it's like oh, trans people were really oppressed in the past, and now things get better. It was like, you know, a hundred years ago, seventy-five years ago, it was more accepted in some ways. It's like oh yeah, we know, you know, like that that person, you know, was born female and they're living as a man. But it's like you know, like they they do their job. They you know they clean up the stoop in front of their house it's like you know we you know we don't really care you know we, they're just around part of the fabric of things and you see you see i think more more violence over time it's like things are getting worse it's like things have been getting worse over the last three years like as, as trans people become more more visible it's like they draw more violence against them mm-hmm. so resistance it's like it really was not until the social movements of the 60s that you start to see trans people really thinking of themselves as an oppressed minority that like is demanding social justice for like a kind of people you know there's always you know survival struggles always like individual acts of resistance always like people trying to find ways of like carving out living space and finding community and meeting their life goals i mean that's always you know that that's resistance too but it's not until the 60s that people who like mostly were like you know poor people on the streets having to be in public space experiencing police violence um um, you know, experiencing you know housing precariousness. Uh, that these are the people who start to say it's like, like no, it's like we have as much right to be here as anybody else, and we're going to take up our space, and you know we we want the same access to social benefits as you know anybody else. Um, but you know, yeah, the the um, the resistance. So it's, it really comes out of, yeah, mostly, you know, poorer, younger people who are present on the streets and who are precariously housed and don't have jobs and are involved in hustling and sex work and involved in, you know, ha- having to find a way to, um, 
um, put put food in their mouths by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, like those mm-hmm. are those are the people who really are at the heart of of the trans struggle. If there was just one chapter that an organizer could read um, and they couldn't read any other chapter what chapter mm-hmm. would it be in your book and why uh, for me it would be the chapter on the, the 60s you know um, because you know I think it's where I draw the connections between like different kinds of structural oppression and the trans movement mm-hmm. you know it's the chapter where I write about the sort of the the best known incidents of, of you know militant resistance you know at places like Cooper Donut in Los Angeles, um, Compton's Cafeteria in San Francisco, Dewey's in Philadelphia. You know, that what you see... Oh, I don't know about Dewey's. Oh, yeah. Ah. So, so in um, 1964 mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, um, there was a place like... It's like these are all similar kinds of places. It's like it's places for cheap food that are open, you know, at you know all hours where, like... You know, they, they don't have liquor licenses, so they're not IDing people at the door. It's like young people can go hang out there. You can get cheap food. Um, so at these kinds of places where a lot of gender nonconforming and trans people would congregate, um, you know, that's where you see the police coming in to crack down or where you see, um, you know, you see the management not wanting to serve people. And in Philadelphia... Uh, they, they were doing Dewey's was this kind of place, um, and that they were doing uh, sort of like lunch counter protests. It's like people who like had been involved in the NAACP lunch counter protests. It's like they were basically doing a lunch counter protest for like gender nonconforming people, and it's like it was a really m- racially mixed bunch of people who were doing it. It was white people and people of color working together um it was you know the gay and lesbian community working with street kids it's like it's actually really you know Mm. inspiring um and they um they picketed dewey's and dewey's did not um, stop its you know denials of service uh and so some young people and their lawyers like went in and did a sit-in and got arrested and um you know, there was more picketing and leafleting outside, and Dewey's changed their policy. Mm. You know, so it did not um, result in street fighting. There wasn't, you know, militant resistance going on. It was picketing and protesting and education, mm-hmm. but it changed policy. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that was good, and it secured space yeah. for people. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so anyway, I would, I would read that, you know, the, okay. the, the 60s chapter Mm -hmm. and you know I also think you know I tried to do a good job with the last 10 years and not just talking about liberal reform politics uh, not just talking about mass media it's like it's great that Laverne is on the cover of Time magazine like that kind of like visibility and presence is great but um, you know it's also not you know down in the trenches struggle you know it's like it takes a wide range of you know change to make things really different and that's totally part of the change Mm -hmm. but um you know i'm i'm really inspired right now actually by um ways that trans people are involved in you know direct action politics Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the um you stole my next question it was who's inspiring you right now (laughs) yeah you know i um you know i i am one of these 
people who thinks it is it is perfectly acceptable to shut down fascist and right right wing violence with like meeting fire with fire you know and the the way that um the the way that i know that trans people are involved in a lot of black bloc protests you know you know the antifa just like the 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 gender anarchism of like that kind of anarchist politics Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. like they just go together and and so you know trans people know that it's like this isn't about free speech you know this is not about um you know oh we have to let people say bad things about them and then we will have a better about us and then we'll have a better argument it's about like you know we are under attack and it is okay to shut that down Mm -hmm. you know so i think that's great i i um heard this little slogan the other day about like if the um let me see if i can remember it it's like if if the farmer and the chicken are having uh, a debate about the merits of a ham and egg breakfast that the pig's role in the conversation is to shut down the breakfast industrial complex yeah. right <laughs> right that's awesome you know <laughs> I love right. that. I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, sometimes or something that I don't often actually talk about is that I got my, so I've been an organizer for about 10 years now, um, an activist, an organizer, and um, I got my start in activism around anti-war activism, but also with Bashback. Mm-hmm. Um, that was sort of where I got started. Bef- like, I knew about how to queer my politics before I knew that I was a super big dyke, you know, (laughs) it was like, and and I think that that really sort of like set the tone for how I was going to move through the world with my own politics and with my own organizing is that, you know, you have to queer everything. Um, uh, You have, you can appreciate and respect diversity of tactics Mm -hmm. because we need them all. Yep. Um, And you got to stay in the streets. <laughs> yep. You know, united front. You yes. know, that's the way I think yes. of it. You know, mm-hmm. that's, um, yeah. Yeah. So um, we're almost out of time. Um, I've been doing this thing with some of our guests, and that's a word association game. Um, and so I'm going to say a word, and then you're going to say the first word that comes to your mind when I say it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Are you ready? All right. Okay. Justice. Peace. Liberation. Freedom. Transgender politics current direct action yes civil disobedience yes (laughs) police no (laughs) a 95 million dollar police academy my eyes are rolling up into the back of my head about 95 million for like trans justice and then the police can like hold a fundraiser for themselves (laughs) thank you thank you all right, so we're just at time now. Um, I want to thank you so much, Susan, for being on our podcast. Um, it's really an honor to have you on our on our episode. I really appreciate the work that this um, that this podcast does. When I discovered it, I thought, oh, this is this is real, really just right on. You know, it's just like it's like news for people who need it. Yes. You know, it's like you're saving time, <laughs> yeah. right? On your way to the right. protest, you can okay. listen to the podcast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we sort of close out? Um, any last thoughts? Um, so, so yeah, like I said, new edition of Transgender History just dropped last week. So um, um, you can get it at your local bookstore or if you must, you know, order it from Amazon. <laughs> uh, I, um, 
I'm sure women and children first in Andersonville carries will carry. I, I, yeah. I would hope so. I would hope yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they and if they don't, they should. They should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you know, I'm always kind of out on the speaking tour things. I'm my next gig actually is on Monday. Uh, at um, Grand Valley State University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, so I will be there. Um, and then, you know, it's like just, yeah, if people are interested in coming to one of my events, just look on, you know, look on my Facebook page okay. or, you know, Google me and it's there. I don't it's I there. don't promote myself overly much, but I'm always kind of out on the road doing something. Okay. Are you on Twitter? I am, but I'm more of a lurker okay. on Twitter. Uh, you you're know. one of those people. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. cool. All right, well, um, I want to give a special shout-out to the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership, who is our one and only sponsor. They're based out of Kalamazoo College. Um, and if you um, want to hear about a specific book, you can email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com. Um, we are super excited to be um, looking forward to some shows with people like Tanuja Jagernoth. Um, we're also going to be interviewing Hilda Franco in a couple of weeks. Um, and we're also going to be talking to Vicki Law soon about resistance behind bars. Um, and there's just a lot of really great episodes coming up. So definitely uh, stay tuned in every Monday at noon. Um, to close out, we're going to have Susan read um, one of her favorite parts um, from her book, Transgender History. Okay, so the passage that I just hurriedly, you know, looked up. And <laughs> this, yes, it's my favorite one. Um, um, it is now. Um, uh, is from the chapter uh, on the 60s uh, and the Compton's Cafeteria Riot, which is just something I've spent a lot of time researching, and I know that story really well. Um, I will also plug my film, Screaming Queens, The Riot at Compton's Cafeteria, uh, which yes. is available on Amazon and Canopy and on PBS, and so it's like it's out there to be watched. Um, uh, so anyway, like here's here's the sort of the wrap-up paragraph from the section of the book about Compton's. <clears throat> I say, looking back, it's easy to see how the Compton's cafeteria riot in 1966 was related to large-scale political, social, and economic developments and wasn't just an isolated little incident unrelated to other things that were going on in the world. The circumstances that created the condition for that riot continue to be relevant in the trans movements of today discriminatory policing practices that target members of minority communities, urban land use policies that benefit cultural elites and displace poor people, the unsettling domestic consequences of U.S. foreign wars, access to health care, civil rights activism aimed at expanding individual liberties and social tolerance on matters of sexuality and gender, and political coalition building around the structural injustices that affect many different communities. Collective resistance to the oppression of trans people at Compton's cafeteria did not automatically solve the problems that trans people in the Tenderloin faced daily. It did, however, create a space in which it became possible for the city of San Francisco to begin relating differently to its transgender citizens, to begin treating them, in fact, as citizens with legitimate needs instead of simply a problem to, to get rid of. That shift in awareness was a crucial step for contemporary transgender social movements, the beginnings of a new relationship to state power and social legitimacy. It would not have happened the way that it did without direct action in the streets on the part of transgender women who were fighting for their own survival. Thanks so much for listening to 
another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout-out to The Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at litreviewshy. Keep reading!